welcome to Pod Academy. This week we join Fran Bennett, Senior Research Fellow in Social Policy at the University of Oxford, in conversation with Ruth Lister, Professor of Social Policy at Loughborough University and a member of the House of Lords. We meet to discuss the themes behind Ruth Lister's book, Poverty. They begin with one of the main influences on the book, that being the Commission on Poverty, Participation and Power, on which Fran acted as secretary and Ruth was commissioner. So, Ruth, we were going to talk about your book on poverty that you wrote in 2004, I think, in particular. And um, one of the things that I think influenced it was what we were both on, which was the Commission on Poverty, Participation and Power. That's right, Fran. Um, For me, being on that commission was an incredibly powerful experience, and the reason being that half its members were people who had direct experience of poverty. And listening to them and what mattered to them and what poverty meant to them made me understand better what poverty was really about and kind of opened up a different way of thinking about poverty and underlined for me the importance of experiential knowledge. Um, And that, when I was asked to write the book by Polity Press in their concept series, I think if I hadn't had that experience, I would probably have said no, because I would have thought Mm -hmm. I had nothing new to say. But that completely changed my thinking, and I felt I did have something different to say Mm -hmm. about what poverty means. Because sometimes now it seems to me that we talk about poverty in quite a narrow way, in that we focus on the kind of technical... Um, measures aspect of poverty so we talk about whether income is important or not and what percentage of income it should be and so on Um, but what I got from what you said just then was that what you were thinking was important in the book was that you'd focus on the the concept more um, rather than those technocratic narrow debates that we tend to have is that right that's right Uh, and what, what I did thinking about you know, how to write a book about the concept of poverty, I made a very clear distinction at the beginning between concepts, definitions and measures. And I've argued for the importance of the conceptual level as because arguing that the concept is about what poverty means, how we understand it, both to those who experience it and to the rest of society. Um, and that then provides a framework for what we more normally talk about, which is definitions and measures. But then I also argue that we have to make a clear distinction between definitions and measures, and so much of public and political debate fails to do that. So we get completely, and and you've been involved in this, I know as well, Frank, I know you wrote a letter recently to the Financial Times Mm -hmm. challenging someone who messed them up. So the measure the normal measure of poverty in this country and many others is 60% of median income. And then that's treated as a definition. Yes. And of course, it's totally yes. inadequate as a definition. Mm. Um, but if you think of the definition as, as what distinguishes the state of poverty from non-poverty, mm. and then you think, how do you operationalise it? Mm. 60% of median income is one measure. Mm. Others include measures of material hardship, both Mm. of which are in the Child Poverty Act. But then people say, oh, well, poverty isn't just 
income. Of course, mm. it isn't just, but I would still argue it is central, and it, I think it would be central to any definition, mm. the hardship that comes from mm. inadequate income. Yes, I found that really useful in your book, in fact. The, um, although clearly the experience of poverty and the causes of poverty and the consequences of poverty are about more than income or indeed resources, um, I found it really useful in your book that the that you put the emphasis on the distinguishing feature of poverty being inevitably to do with a lack of resources mm. and then how you operationalise that, it could be deprivation of, of material things or it could be income and often it's both um, and it depends on what measures, you, what means you've got at your disposal but I found that the core idea of the lack of resources being important to distinguish poverty from other things um, that are debated, um, I found that really important. But the other thing I found really important, which I think we should talk about a bit, is um, the emphasis that you put on poverty in terms of relationships. Um, so when you talked about the, um, the material core of poverty, and that was absolutely clear, but you also talked about what I think was the, you called the symbolic rim. Mm. Yes, I mean I, again it, it very much kind of came out of the experience on the commission that when people talk most passionately about poverty, it wasn't so much about the economic hardship, because in a sense that was almost taken for granted. It was about how people felt they were seen and treated by the rest of society. And, they were, and, and the theme that came out time and time again in that commission was people feeling they're treated with lack of respect. Mm. And so one of the, the, yes, the key themes of the book is that poverty isn't simply an economic condition, bad as that is, but it's also a, all too often a shameful and corrosive social relation. And we need to, to understand poverty as a concept, we need to understand that relation. So can you give some examples of that? Because um, what does it mean? How does it mean in terms of either the public debate or the way in which people are treated in you know, person-to-person -person relationships, I don't know, at the benefit office or in the shop or whatever? Well, I think it, it, is, it goes at every level, really. I mean, in terms of public debate, I mean, we have it time and again, you know, when people are talked about as being a member of an underclass or being welfare-dependent or languishing on benefits. I mean, the kind of ways of talking about people in poverty, which, what I argue in the book, is treating them as other, mm. that they're different from mm. us. Um, and then that can... Uh, feed through into being being treated very disrespectfully mm. in benefit offices or social services or whatever, and not being listened to, mm. um, as if you know people in poverty had had nothing to say themselves, had no views of their situation, mm. uh, and it is this thing about being treated as other mm. uh, and inferior, mm. and a dividing line being drawn between us and them. Mm. Mm. In fact, I. You know, we've talked before about the idea that you try not to use the phrase the poor or poor people because actually poor is another word that we use for inferior. Oh, yeah. um, so poor tends to mean poor quality as well as somebody who's yeah. living in poverty. So I've now taken that as well and I try to avoid it and I try to put living in poverty in journal articles or, or whatever and try and talk about living in poverty rather than talk about somebody who is because of that association. Yeah, indeed, and, and because, I mean, it's difficult always to do it because of yes. words and things, but 
I mean, it's, it's so objectifying. It's saying poverty is the only thing that identifies yes. people yes. living in poverty. Yes. And it, I mean, and, and in fact, I mean, it's another argument in the book, and it makes actually political action very difficult, is that many people in poverty don't, either they don't think of themselves as poor yes. because of the, the, the way people in poverty have talked about treated, the whole stigma that's still associated yes. with it, they don't want to be labelled that way. But even if they did think of themselves as poor, it's not central to their identity. Mm. You mm. know, it's not, I think of myself as a poor person. Mm. Um, mm. So to talk about them as the poor, mm. as if that's the only thing that matters about them, mm. it's kind of incredibly disrespectful. Mm. Mm. And it sort of may, means that, that when you talk about the agency of people in poverty, then that isn't necessarily about identity politics in the same way that movements of other groups might be, because you might have the women's movement about identifying as women, or you might have the disabled people's movement identifying mm. as disabled people. Um, but you know, a, a poor people's movement is not necessarily going to be pushing forward the identity of, of wanting to be identified as poor at all. In fact, one of the issues that I thought you did very, dealt with very well in the book was about the impact of this kind of othering process on the agency of people in poverty and the emphasis you put on the agency of people in poverty despite all these obstacles to it. Yes, and I mean, that in that relation, it was about agency in terms of political agency. Yeah. And that it's, it's very difficult, I think. It's not surprising that we don't have um, movements of people in poverty um, because they, I mean, proud to be poor is not a banner <laughs> under which many people want to, mm. to march. So that was one example of, yes, I mean, again, this is something I think that was not completely new because some other social scientists had started talking about agency, but there's been a reluctance, understandable in social science to talk about mm. agency in relation to poverty because it, it's all too often been used by the political right as a way of blaming people in poverty, i.e. their poverty is because of their own behaviour. Yes. And many yeah. social scientists have been very wary of that kind of blaming the victim mentality. But the danger then is that you just treat people in poverty as kind of passive ciphers. Mm. So again, what I'm trying to do in the book is to argue that we have to pay regard to the agency of people in poverty. They make choices the same way everyone else does. But we also have to pay regard to the constraints within mm. which they do, i.e. structure, as mm. social scientists call it. Um, and then we have to understand the interplay between agency mm. and structure. Mm. Mm. And that's really complicated, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really complicated. And one of the um, one of the very most dispiriting things, I think, is is precisely that relationship between, if you like, seeing people as victims and seeing people as villains. And in fact, the kind of um, label of dependency seems to treat them as victims. You know, they're dependent, mm. but actually that tends to turn over into a kind of blaming uh, where they're also seen as villains for being um, mm. dependent on benefit or, or whatever mm. it happens to be. Mm. Um, so I think it, that, that disentangling of agency and structure is a, a very complicated thing to do in poverty and I think it's done, uh, it's done very well in the, in the book. Um, I think one of the other things which people find quite difficult in terms of poverty debates is when people say um, poverty is just inequality. I mean, it's partly sometimes used for 
um, when people say uh, the poor will always be with you. In other words, we'll always have some kind of an unequal society, so there'll always be people at the bottom. Um, uh, but um, the, again, the relationship between poverty and inequality, I think, is one of the is one of the issues which is discussed very well in the book. Um, and you know, particularly um, not just inequalities of, of income and class, but also other ones as well. Yeah, I think it's really important to to, to put poverty in the context of inequality. Um, but it isn't the same. I mean, yes, relative poverty is there are overlaps of inequality because partly the idea of relative poverty is is comparisons with other people in the same society. Um, but poverty adds to it the inability to participate in that society. And it is theoretically possible you could have inequality without poverty if everybody can still participate. Yeah. It's unlikely. And mm. the fact is that more unequal societies tend to have more poverty. Um, but that kind of... And then, then the other dimensions that I, I kind of look at include, in particular, the gender dimension, which is something yes. that we both have kind of done a lot of work on, Fran. Mm. And, um, and that takes us into looking at what happens within households and mm. families. Mm. Uh, it's it, very relevant to what we're talking about in terms of agency, because one of the points I develop in relation to agency, and it links back to this idea of people being passive dependents if they're claiming benefit, is that actually getting by on benefit, mm. on a, on, in poverty, on a low income, is it, it calls for huge skills yes, yeah. and people devise kind of complex strategies mm. and, and they are exercising agency mm. simply in getting by and in terms of, 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 manage, of doing that it's largely the women who mm. do it mm. so women bear a lot of the brunt of poverty so mm. it's not simply that women are more likely to be in poverty but that they experience poverty in a particularly mm. an, in a gendered way. Mm. And something that we're both concerned about is how this is going to be made worse by the move to pay benefits monthly instead mm. of fortnightly, because that balancing act is going to be incredibly difficult. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, we're quite concerned about the fact that the, the burden of the shift to the new monthly payment is likely to fall on women mm in low-income families in particular. I mean, not always, that's not, it's not a universal pattern, but it's, uh, it's quite common, particularly in families with children, where the, the women tend to be the ones who are responsible for um, looking after the everyday uh, needs of the children and clothes and food and so on. Yeah. I mean, there are other inequalities as well that, that kind of crisscross poverty yes. and also affect people's experience of yes, poverty. Yes, I mean, ra race, um, uh, and again, I mean, where the kind of the othering associated with poverty is linked with mm. racial um, uh, ra ra racism and so forth, that mm. can can make experience of poverty that much with disability, age. These all crisscross mm. with with poverty. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And in fact, and at the moment, people are talking about the disabledist. Um, uh, you know, harassment actually yes, having increased indeed, recently. Uh, and very much linked not to the disability as such, but to, and it goes back to what we're talking about, the, the, the othering in terms of political and public, mm -hmm. pub, pol, political and public debate 
uh, about people on benefit yes. and disabled people claiming benefit being scroungers and so forth mm. and, and disability organisations think that that's what's led to this hate crime actually yes. against disabled Yes, exa- a hate crime as yeah. well, exactly, yeah. not, just, uh, yeah. not just words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering whether you, if you were, you are, I think, going to rewrite the book uh, revise the book, yes. produce a new edition, which will be great. Um, but I was wondering whether, given that the experience of the commission informed the, particularly your last edition, whether there were um, particular things that you were thinking of emphasising this time that perhaps you put less emphasis on in the, in the first edition? Yes, there are. I mean, if I ever get round to doing it, <laughs> I, am in, I do really intend to. I mean, there are two key things. One which... I realised after I finished it, and, and interestingly, no one actually sort of picked it up, is that I'd not put enough emphasis on insecurity, uh, because I think one of the characteristics of, of the experience of poverty is experiencing insecurity, and that can be insecurity of income, and there's a lot of talk at present about the precariat and mm. so forth, and greater insecurity in terms of employment and the insecurity of if you move from benefit, which tends to be reasonably secure, into paid work and how things can go wrong. And to be fair to the government, it is trying to do something about that with yes. universal credit. Yeah. Or the insecurity of the kind of sh- shocks that people external, what are in development talk, they talk about external shocks. So that could be like, you know, if your fridge breaks down yes. and you've got no savings. And your 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 budgeting, as we were talking about, you know, week to week. Then how do you meet the cost? Mm. Um, and that is something that I think really kind of gnaws at people mm. in poverty. That fear about the smallest thing going wrong could be a major, major crisis for them. Mm. And so I want to say more about that. And, and in doing so, I want to draw on something I did talk about in the book in relation to agency. But there's been a lot more research done in this country now and again drawing on development literature and that is the livelihoods approach which I find really interesting Um, and it links in with the whole question of agency because instead again of simply looking at people as passive victims it focuses on how how people make use of the different kinds of resources or assets that they've got to get by or try and get out of poverty and one of the things that particularly is not just sort of money and things, but l- social resources, like the importance of social networks. And, I mean, policy at present is going to destroy many people's social yeah. networks by yeah. making people have to move into yes. cheaper accommodation, cheaper areas. Yes. So undermining the, 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 the resources that people draw on either to get by or to get out of poverty. Yeah. So that is one area I want to, and, and to draw on the research that's now been done in this country, yeah. which I think very helpful livelihoods research, yeah. provided it's not misused to say that, it, you know, all that matters is how people use the money and not mm. how much money they've got. And the other um, area I want to do more work on, which is, which is featured in the book, but again, there's been more work done on this, um, looking at, and that is a human rights uh, approach to poverty Um, and how one of the things I've been thinking about more, I mean I mention it in the book, but drawing on 
more evidence and a greater interest among some of the, the voluntary or anti-poverty mm. organisations in this country is the way that a human rights approach can act as a mobilising tool for people in poverty and then address what we talked about earlier, which was the reluctance to identify as poor and stand up and you know, march under the banner of poverty. Yeah. Because in the States, people in poverty have done so, un but under the, the banner of the poor people's economic and human rights, economic and social human rights campaign. Yeah. And I think by helping people think of themselves as rights holders, mm and the notion of human dignity, which is absolutely central to human rights, then that addresses the whole kind of othering that mm, we talked about, mm. um, and addresses the, the, the disrespect that people feel that, that is shown towards them by mm. the, the wider society. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought one of the interesting things in terms of what you said just now was that actually both of us have also been influenced by not just the Commission on Poverty, Participation and Power, but to um, other kind of bodies of thought, I suppose. One is um, very much identified for me with an organisation called ACD Fourth World, which I worked for for a bit, and which very much um, sets extreme poverty in the context of the denial of fundamental human rights. Um, so that fits in with what you were just saying then. Um, but the other, I suppose, is international development. So, you know, I've worked for Oxfam, but you've also worked with um, people from the Institute of Development mm -hmm. Studies and found that the thinking from the world of international development, contrary to what you might think, is actually um, more focused on, um, if you like, the less tangible um, things about poverty. So you might expect that international development activists, for example, were very much focused on absolute poverty and starvation and um, the lack of material goods. But my experience has been that they've been the ones who've made me think about things like the right to a voice, um, things about attitudes between people in poverty and others, and in particular things about power. So I just wondered if that had been influential and was going to be influential in the in the next edition. Uh, it was it was influential, Fran. I mean, and and I have I mean, partly my development in thinking about human rights has been through attending a conference that ATD Fourth World organised and uh, and reading some more of their work, which has been really interesting. And in particular, your your point about participation mm. and power, which of course takes us back to the Commission, because that was all about how to break down the barriers against people in poverty participating in mm. uh, decisions and debates that affect their lives. And it's quite right. I think it's interesting. We, we tend to talk about you know, the global south learning from the global north, but I think we've learned quite a lot from the global south in terms of that, that, that thinking about poverty and, as you say, the right to voice and the importance of that uh, when thinking about the, both the concept of poverty and the politics mm. of poverty. That was Fran Bennett in conversation with Ruth Lister, talking about Ruth's book, Poverty. For more podcasts, please go to podacademy.org.